Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. We continue our journey in uh, with Joseph in the book of Genesis. And uh, welcome. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. Let's open in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And I just pray that we uh, are challenged and encouraged from Genesis 39 and Genesis 40 in the life of Joseph. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Mick, I really enjoyed last week. Yep. I really thought it was a good conversation. I, I appreciate just the, the things that we were able to talk together and just bring things out and just just there's just a wealth of, of knowledge across the table from me. And I really appreciate your perspective and and we thank you for um, all that you do and all the, just the, the presence you are um, in, in my own life. And I just thank you for your friendship. And we get to continue uh, with uh, Genesis 39. So we're going to be in 1 to 6a, first of all, here. So we'll start reading in Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, Egypt, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Mick, how do we see God at work in Joseph's life from the caravan to Egypt? I think it's very important that uh, we always go back to Joseph's dreams. And we see that Joseph is going to become this major leader. His, his brothers are going to bow before him and his, uh, and his parents are going to bow before him. So to get from point A to point B to the dream, there has to be some positioning going on. And this wasn't going to happen in the land of Canaan. So God had to find a way to get Joseph into Egypt and position him there. And so we see, we see chess piece by chess piece how God moves everything into position. Yeah, I mean, it's, his story just goes from son to slave. And here he is. And yeah. from slave to steward. Yeah. And he just he ascends. What do we learn about success and favor from these verses? Because obviously, there's a lot of verbiage in these six verses about success and especially the word favor. I think one of the biggest things that, that grabbed my attention from when I was reading the text was right off the bat, this phrase gets said, and the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord was with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, in this chapter alone, that gets brought up about three times. Wow. God being with Joseph. And, you know, God, um, the beautiful thing is that we also see that that Joseph lived in the reality that God was with Joseph. Because there's a lot of people that mm. God is with them, but they don't seem to live in the same reality as that. But here, we, the nice thing is that we get to see Joseph living in the reality that God is with him, even in the slave circumstance. Yeah, that's just, that's beautiful. In fact, it almost makes Joseph's story the, um, the opposite of the Esther story, where mm. in, the, in the Esther story, yeah. 
we have to kind of go digging. We have to, we have to see God's providential hand where we see we don't see him overtly at work. Yeah. But we see him providentially at work through causes and certain situations and God is you can see his hand at work but he just it doesn't make it an overt thing. Right. Whereas here the text is explicit. Yeah. There is no guessing, there is no gosh, I wonder what God is doing. It's just it just flat out says Joseph has success because that's God's that's God's doing. There's simple favor there and that's there's something refreshing about the bluntness yeah. of the text, and we don't have to guess. Um, but yeah, so we continue here in uh, 6 to 10. Uh, we got to have some drama here. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Oh, boy. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We're going to 10. Okay. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or even to be with her. So, so Professor D, what do we learn about sin and temptation from Joseph here? That no matter how good a gig or, or how sweet a deal, some uh, temptation and, and and sadly, sin with it very always are right there. Mm. It happened in heaven before God did His house cleaning. It happened again in Eden. I mean, this is in large part why we pray. You know on earth as it is in heaven, because we know God has already taken care of that situation in, in heaven. Now, now we need him to take care of it here on earth. And uh, here again, Joseph has a very sweet gig and uh, always something there to louse it up. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, Joseph, I mean, for, for being, you know, betrayed by his brothers, left for dead, sold into slavery, ending up being carted to Egypt, by God's grace, he lands nicely. Yeah, I mean, it's all th- like he's not a slave. I mean, all things considered, Joseph is in a decent spot. So it, it reminds us when we get to points like that in our life where things tend to, tend to work out, those are the moments where we got to be diligent the most and be disciplined because it's kind of like, well, I know we mentioned this last time, it's kind of like God told Cain, sin is right there crouching at your door. Yep. It's like he just, that that's when we find success, it's no time to take the foot off the gas pedal. Um, and this is right here. This this woman is, she is on the prowl and she wants this Joseph and she, nothing is going to stand in her way. My goodness. Well, we got to look, we, this has to keep going here. So 11, this is a big chunk here, 11 to 23. And I'm struggling just a little bit, Mick. I, I'm reading a translation I did not prepare. So <laughs> it is brand new to my eyes. And I, I, it's been a long time since I read from the ESV. So it's caught me a couple times. But one day... When he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was, was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. 
And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Going to 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were, who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Wow. Well, that's quite an interesting little vignette there where we as the reader, we know better. And but things so as as us reading the text, we understand that that she's not being truthful here, mm -hmm. but her narrative wins the day, even though we know better. So we got to go to Joseph here. So so Mick, what did Joseph do well here? I think the big thing that he did well was obviously he um, he defended he stood his ground. He defended it based on spiritual reasons. He mentions God as one of the reasons that he can't do this wickedness against God kind of reminds me of Psalm 51 when David says, I have sinned against you alone. Mm. And the other thing is he brings up his master. My master has given me everything. I'm, I'm not going to do my master wrong. So he does a couple things, right? And, and it's nice that not only does he do the right thing and stand his ground, he, he gives his reasons for it too. Yeah, the, the text takes great pains to present him as innocent. So and, and all of the deeds that she's accusing him of, it, the, the text is, is pretty clear that uh, he's innocent. You're, you, you would have to go outside the text. In fact, her testimony would be something just outside of reality. But you would have to overtly lie yes. to find him guilty because the text is presenting him as innocent. In yes. the, and at least what she's accusing him of. Was there anything he might have done differently, Meg? You know, the biggest thing that I saw, and it really comes down to this, alone? Were you not aware that the other guys were not around? It's like... You know, we talked about him last week being, is, was he naive? You know, I mean. Oh, telling the dreams to his brothers. Yeah, yeah. you know, when he's, he's kind of, are you, are you that naive? I mean, here it's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to understand, wrap my head. Why is he alone here? Right. This is kind of like a 101 for like failing. Yeah. This is something that I, I, whenever I journey with guys who struggle with purity or pornography or um, that kind of stuff. Many times you look, you look at the, the, the study guides you find and the, the, the support materials and they all point to Joseph. See, we got to be like Joseph. And Joseph was able to say no. And I like to look at Joseph's story and say, well, I agree with you, Mick. Um, the, the text said that, I mean, he did take great pains not to be alone with her, not to do any of these things. Okay, how much did he know that day? Did he know that, that no, none of the servants were not going to be in the house? If so, then... That was a moronic move to go in by herself, yeah. knowing that she's going to be the spider trying to catch him in, right. a, in think, her net. You think he'd be on high alert at right. this stage? You know? Like at no point am I going in this house for any reason unless I've got two or three guys with me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, he, he's the boss of all these other yeah. slaves. It's not like he couldn't just say, hey, I got to go in for some reason. I left something in the, in the cabinet. And I got to get it and I, I can't help myself. But you're going to come with me, right? It's not like he didn't have authority. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have just grabbed two or three guys here and he didn't. He went in by him, himself 
And she being like a wolf going to a prey sees that moment. And yeah, I agree with you. I think he could have done that differently. I realize we're trying to second, we're not second guessing the text here. Yeah. We're just saying, okay, to use Joseph's example in terms of discipline, his example would be, you know, there's one, the one time you're not crossing every T and dotting every I, wham, mm-hmm. that's when it's going to come. Yep. And so I, I think he, just, just looking at it from just that perspective alone, that, that would be something I would agree with you. He could have done that differently. And poor Joseph, you know, always getting in trouble with his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great, great joke. Yeah. And what does Potiphar's response teach us? I think Potiphar's response is, is very interesting. So he gets so we, the, the text tells us that he 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 gets kindled is the word that we use here. You know, not you know we t- talk about kindle fire here, man. This is this is where it came from. Uh, but but kidding aside, so he's kindled. I think the thing with Potiphar is he knows God is with Joseph. This is why he trusts his house to him. So he's he's conflicted too, though. On the one hand, because he has to deal with his wife's charge. He probably knows his wife's tendencies, I, I would imagine. But he still has to save face. He can't let this thing be left undressed. I think, though, that the thing that shows that he has favor towards Joe is the fact that he could have just as easily... This guy's a slave. He's got no rights or anything. He's a Hebrew slave on top of that. He could have just as easily had him stoned to death mm. instead of arresting him in a posh prison. Yeah, in fact, I, I I agree with that. I, I you actually can if you if you dig deeper, you can in Egyptian history, Potiphar's name is is actually a known name. You can find Potiphar's out there, and this Potiphar, the the, the Hebrew text kind of presents him as like the charge of the guards. He's a, he's a captain, mm-hmm. so Pharaoh looked to him. There's a very real there's a very real possibility that. Um, he had kind of like in the New Testament, we have the idea of the high priest kind of had a prison right there mm-hmm. where like Caiaphas had like a basement where like yeah. Jesus might have been kept pre-trial kind of thing. Potiphar might just have the prison as part of his estate. Yeah. So he might have had access to there. But I, I totally agree with you. Um, his wife, she, you know, Potiphar's wife really makes it about Potiphar. She she doesn't say, you know, hey, this guy tried to get me. She says She says, this guy that you brought in. Like, you're the one who's bringing this guy in, this Hebrew guy, to laugh at me, to make fun of me. I, so, got, I, got, I got just a glimpse of Adam, the woman you yeah. gave me. I, yeah, like a reversal. I mean, this is, you know, there's probably some other connections there with the garden. But, yeah, this is, that, that, that is exactly, I mean, she puts it right on Potiphar. So I, I think your point is really well made, Mick, that if he really believed Joseph, or believed that Joseph did what she accused him of, this would be like Queen of Hearts off of his head territory, yeah. and nobody would have said boo. But I think, I think, not only was God with him, with with Joseph, guiding this sovereignly, but yeah, Potiphar. I think I mean, Joseph must have really done well for Potiphar. Yeah. I mean, Potiphar he he left nothing but a good taste in Potiphar's mouth. Yeah. So much so that Potiphar was like, "Well, I got to do something, so I'm going to do this." Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, drag my wife's reputation to the street. I'm not going to say she's wrong. You know, we kind of wish he'd stick up for Joseph. But at the same time, we get it. Well, he yeah. has to live with her. He's got to live with her. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, you know, he's got, he's got a reputation, et cetera. And if nothing else, he wasn't going to live that down. But he did put him in prison versus just instantly killing him. 
And because this is a guy that already kindled with anger. So mm-hmm. anger could turn into rage just like that. And yeah. nobody would say anything. Um, what does God's favor or grace teach us about God in our situations? That's a good question, Joel. Um, the big takeaway I got from this is, is God is with Joseph. That, that's, how, like, yeah, he, that's how he's described three times in this chapter alone. And if God is with you, as bleak as the situation seems, he's going to see you through all the way. God already gave Joseph the dream. God has been with him as a slave who really wasn't a slave. Now he's a slave in prison. And even in prison, it's like you get this dark shadow and yet you, you get this glimpse of light too that, you know, he's doing, he's doing well in prison. Mm. It's probably not the road I would last, you know, if I was, God, uh, why this particular route? Why, thank you for the success. I don't quite like this route you're taking me. It seems like you're bringing me the wrong direction. You give me success. But again, Joseph doesn't know what God knows. But the important thing is that God is with him all the way. Yeah, and some might even take the word favor, the God giving him success or favor. Some might even link that to the word for grace. Yeah. This unmerited positive thing that God's going to well, do. Well, here's the beautiful thing about this. No, Joseph never earned any of this. Mm. God gave it to him. Mm. God gave him the dreams. God gave him the success. There's a guy whom God is with, and he does not necessarily give that same guy the same type of success. Yet God's grace is all over. In, in this particular case of Joseph, God's just kind of adding kind of like a, a footnote thing in here to make it really, or a ne- not a footnote, an exclamation point here to really show, yeah, I'm with him. So much so in, in these shadows and these valleys that even in this circumstances that he's finding himself in, you're going to see me pulling him through. So we're not surprised in verse 23 where no. he, he ends up in prison and all of a sudden the prison keeper's like, well, what do I have here? My goodness. Let this guy run my show for me. Dude, it ends with the word succeed. The, Lord, mean, the Lord made it succeed. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, we don't live this life. It's probably like how we're going to close this first section and kind of, kind of, um, to kind of bake upon the success thing. Um, I don't think we should live this life to seek success on our own terms. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to make things work out, God. I'm the sovereign one in charge, and I'm the one that's going to. Everything's going to be about me and my faith, my, you know, my success and my glory. But with that said, God's about His business. His business is about giving Him glory, and there's times where God's glory means success. Yeah, and the gospel piercing hearts and people who land in horrible situations having great reversals and God taking something on the brink of disaster and, and making it into something beautiful yeah. and powerful. I mean, that is the Esther story. Well, How many times was the nation of Israel just about wiped out? All of a sudden, Haman's on his own gallows yeah. kind of thing. God brings success, and this is about what God is doing and trusting in God, even though we find ourselves in horrible situations. That's kind of what I take out of this first section. Is oh, yeah. There's things that we can control about our life, and we should— the things that we should control, we, we should give God glory. And there's plenty of things we just can't control. We can't control what the Potiphar's wives are going to do. Right. Or what our brothers are going to do, or they're sell us into slavery, or how we're going to end up. But we can't control. There's so much we can't control, but we can trust God with that. Right. And so what do you take out of this first section, Professor D? So, yeah, I was also thinking about Proverbs 21, 31, where it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to God. You could say, this, uh, you know, contextualize it here where you can do all these things and get ready for success in, in, in any endeavor, you, enter, enterprise you take in life. But unless God has to be behind it, mm. or better yet, God has to be in front of it. 
Nice. So as we transition here to chapter 40, um, the first is 1 to 8. So this is going to go a little bit faster because it's two, two big dreams here. So we're going to meet a couple people here who are... Well, if you think about, we're going to meet this baker and we're going to meet a cupbearer. And if you think about it from a king's standpoint, those are two of the people that need to be on his side the most. Mm -hmm. The one who touches the cup that touches his lips and the one who touches his meat or his bread that touches his lips. So it, these two characters have to really be trustworthy or and the people they hired to serve the king's court. So these are people the king can't mess around with. Yeah. So we're not shocked here. So let's read. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard says so the house of the captain of the guard. So that, that's just mm -hmm. reminding us of Potiphar once yeah. again. Okay. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. Maybe Potiphar said, okay, you're, you're going to be, I have to send you to prison, but you're going to be in my prison. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put you over my house yeah. here too. Maybe that was, a, yeah. maybe that's how God worked it out in his, in his uh, providence. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And we're going to verse eight. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So, so Mick here, how, how was Joseph a caring person to his fellow inmates? Well, here we have a situation where we got two guys who have these disturbing dreams and they're visibly distressed. And what does Joseph do? He comes in and he engages them instead mm -hmm. of like, oh, I'm going to keep away from these guys. You know, these guys, uh, I don't, I don't want what they have. He, he, he goes right to them. Yeah, he sees there's something wrong. You're right, and he and he he uses that as an opportunity to care for them. Yeah, to just he seizes the opportunity to to engage them in conversation. So what's going on? Yeah. And, and I realize they're in prison, and there's you know there's probably not a lot going on with that. But you could imagine them being in prison, and saying, you know what, that's your business. I'm going to come and stick to my exactly. my he, corner he of the room. He could have just as easily walked away from it. Yeah, and, I mean we don't know how many prisoners there are in this prison, but. I'm sure that he didn't need their aggravation in his own situation. My goodness, Pharaoh hates you guys, so that's why you're here. So yeah. why would I want to get any of your stain on me? I mean, there's a lot of people that yeah. would just back off completely and just, I'm going to mind my business. And and he actually walks towards the mess. Yeah, no, and he could have been, oh, woe is me. I got my own problems. Yeah. Why would I care about yours? So the beauty of this is what hope did he have to offer them? And it's something kind of what Daniel kind of tells us when Daniel starts to interpret the king of, of, um, of Babylon's dreams in the book of Daniel. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, what was the only hope that Joseph had for them? Like, like us, the only hope we have. Take the matter to God. It's all we, any of us can really do. I journey with a lot of people in, uh, the biblical, as, as a biblical counselor, and some of these people come with previous relationships with other counselors and, and, and whether it's some kind of a psychoanalysis or behavioral modification, whatever it is, or some kind of secular therapy. And so for some of these people, their hope was tied up in their counselor. Mm -hmm. And 
As biblical counselors, we're very quick to say, no, no, no. I'm not the one offering you the hope. I'm pointing you to God's word. Mm -hmm. God's the one that has the hope. He's the one who heals. He's the one who helps. He's the one who encourages. The best I can do is to open up God's word with you and let the Bible, you know, direct your path here. And I see him doing that here. It's like, you know, all these interpret. Now, to be fair, uh, I I was reading today, and I guess both Babylon and Egypt were known at the time or whatever their variations were, they had these books that were called books of dreams. And so their dream, dream casting was a, was a big thing at the time where people would have dreams and they would always have, they would, they would have these, these therapeutic books where if you, if you, okay, what image do you see? Well, I saw a raven and they would turn to the book. Okay, raven, that means this. Almost like a dream tarot card kind of mm-hmm. thing. And say, like, okay, this picture means this and this number means this. And so Joseph doesn't have that. He doesn't have access to that kind of thing. So he just leans upon God. It's like, you know what? Um, God has the interpretation. Yeah. And that's all he could offer. And yeah. so only God's going to get the glory with this. And so I think Daniel in, in his chapter calls God the revealer of mysteries. Yeah. It's like only God is that revealer. So Daniel's not going to get the credit. Now, if they want to give Daniel credit, if, they want to, if, jo- if Joseph ends up getting something from this, that's beside the point. Right. His perspective seems to be all God. Yeah. And yeah, and let's just keep going. 9 to 19, let's, let's see what happens with these dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me. That's kind of nice. Uh, the guy who has wine, he has grapes. Okay, but wine, okay, a vine, okay. There was a vine before me, and on the vine were, were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker, so we're going to 16, 19, okay. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked, good, baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer into his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow. Ouch. So what thoughts do you have regarding these two dreams, Mick? You know, the funny thing is um, two dreams, two dreams, two dreams. Joseph had two dreams before coming to Egypt Mm. himself. Now he's in prison. And granted, it's two different dreamers. But it's two dreams. And as we're going to see next week, there's going to be two dreams involved as well. Mm. So I keep seeing this pattern of two dreams. And, mm. and um, I don't know. I don't want to make more of it than is there. But it, they are very similar, though. 
and they both have a, a very similar ingredient of the three days, and that's where the similarities uh, end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I, I really, let's just go to the next question here. What do we learn here about life and our circumstances? What's, I mean, just, just take Joseph's circumstances here. And maybe, maybe the question is better, you know, Joseph takes things, it's almost like Joseph says, okay, I trust in God. God's the interpreter of these dreams. Mm-hmm. But I just gave you a favorable interpretation from God. Yeah. Now I'm asking you to, what's that, that movie? Remember me. Okay. <laughs> Remember me. Yeah. Remember me. It's like, I'm in this pit. I haven't done anything wrong. So all of a sudden he starts advocating for himself. Yeah. All of a sudden he starts saying, hey, like you, I'm in this, I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve any of this. And here I am. And so it's almost like he's pushing his chips to the center of the poker table there. Yeah. Where, I mean, life and circumstances, yeah, it's all in God's hands, but it's almost like he's taking a shot here. It's like, I, I want to get out of this pit. And, and if nothing else, even from a theological stance, could it be, well, you know what? Maybe God will use you to get me out of here. Yeah. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about Joseph? I think that, for, let's, let me backtrack a little bit. First of all, when Joseph sees their distress and the need, he goes to them. Out the, he's, he's not looking to see what he's going to get off of it. Right. He just goes. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what they're going to tell him. Mm-hmm. He just sees their distress, and then he finds out about the dreams, and then he, he, he offers to take the matter to God. Mm-hmm. He himself, like you and me, he didn't know what was coming up ahead the cor- around the corner. He looks at the story. He hears it out. God gives him the response and he interprets it. But he didn't know that was going to happen. All he was doing was going to help out two bros who were, who were in need. And all of a sudden this happens. He finds points of identification. These guys are wrongly jailed. I was wrongly jailed. What do you know? Small world. Hey, you know, could you put in a good word for me? You know, he, he gave him the, the good news that that. That he could, and he asked for some help. And I, and I think that a lot of times, I think that's the important thing for us. It's okay to ask. Mm. We don't know when God's going to do something. This is why when we pray in our Father, you know, thy will be done, because we don't know, you know. We, we ask God. We don't know what we ask. Mm. Romans 8 talks about that the Spirit knows what to pray for because the Spirit knows the heart and mind of God. Mm. We don't necessarily know it. This could have been the opportunity and in a weird way, getting ahead, spoiler alert, it works out just not in the right timetable. <laughs> but that's just it. We, we just never know. But I think it also shows that it's God who's going to do it and not Joseph as far as getting himself out of jail. It's going to be God and, and in God's time. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's, there's a real temptation when we read about Joseph to... I mean, he's obviously a tragic character, but it's it's really tempting to make him more of a passive character. Yeah. As in, things just keep happening to him. And yeah. It just okay. It just happens to him. Happens to him. Happens. And I don't think that's Joseph's self talk. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he's telling himself because that's not how he interprets life. Because he literally says in verse fifteen, "For I wasn't, you know, please get me out of this house." Mm-hmm. Mention or verse fourteen. Mention me to Pharaoh. So remember me when it is well with you. So okay, eventually you're gonna have you're gonna be restored because yeah. I just gave you a good interpretation. Yeah. God has told me you're gonna be restored. So when you're restored and have the king's ear again, remember me. Use that influence you will now have again. Okay, and get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. So he sees himself as 
something happened to him and that this was something bad happened to him. And it was not good that he's... So I'm looking at our circumstances and... To be able to to be able to have this kind of blind faith that God's like, well, God's in charge, so I'm just going to just enjoy everything. I don't know. I I don't see Joseph enjoying himself here. I see him trusting God, mm-hmm. but also saying, you know, hey, you know, this is an opportunity. I'm going to seize this opportunity. Yeah. And I I I just it makes him such a real character. Yeah. Him, that he's utilizing this opportunity that you know I did you a solid and you're going to be restored. So remember me. Yeah. And I. I want to be restored too. You're going to be restored and I want to be restored. And I haven't done anything to do to, to belong here. I mean, there's, there's something about faith and there's, there's a faith that trusts God and that there's a faith that just doesn't stay passive. Yeah. And that maybe seizes opportunities that, you know, trusting God by just, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep waiting. I'm just going to sit on my hands and not do anything where, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to trust God and, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, the truth is, again, we don't know. We know that God has the big picture all taken care of. We know he has the ending all figured out. But as you and I journey through life, we don't know the particulars of every, mm. of every turn. We don't know every nuance. When I make a decision to stay at this job, you know, I don't know where exactly God wants me. The same thing with, with Joseph. Joseph just knows that God is doing something. As far as Joseph, look, we know the story. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. Mm. In fact, as we, as we read in the next chapters, he's stuck in here for an additional two years. Mm. At this point, I would have probably given up hope that that cupbearer would ever remember anything that happened the, this night. Yeah. Joseph doesn't know that. That's why he said what he said. You have to still do things. You still have to move the way I always think about life is that life is like when God gave Israel the promised land. I'm giving you the promised land, but, I, you know, it, you have to still go and get, you have to still, your foot still has to touch the ground that you're going to get. And in fact, they shortchanged themselves because they didn't take everything God was giving them. You know, so there's still, like you said, there's, a, there's an active part in our, in our journeys that, that falls on us, our responsibility in it. And Joseph, we have to act. And God wants us to act. Part of it is a process of growing us and maturing us along the way. And, and you still have to take those steps. If you don't take those steps, you're not going to get there. The worst this is, mm-hmm. is, if, is if, if, if a person interprets Joseph's words as he's not trusting God, mm-hmm. I can see someone doing that saying, you know what, God, God, if God is with you, God's with you. Although I don't know at this point if Joseph knows God's with him. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's struggling seeing God's hand at work because because bad things still happen even though he keeps ascending into you know second in charge. At the at the worst though, I I would say that this just makes Joseph a very genuine real character. Yeah. Like this is something that everyone would do. Yeah. We would all shoot our shot here and say, yeah. oh great, I'm so glad things are going to work out for you. I genuinely am happy for you. Just so you know, you're going to have Pharaoh's ear, and this might get me out yeah. of this because I I don't belong here. Yeah. And I mean, even the way this whole thing starts, it's like, hey, let's take this dream to God. So he is very God-minded, mm. even in the, in, in, in the midst of the circumstances. And he obviously, and, then, and I think what, what's cool about him doing that is it shows you he doesn't like his circumstances. A lot of times we're in circumstances we don't like, but we can still trust God even when we don't like our circumstances. Mm. And I think that's kind of one of the cool things about Joseph. In fact, everything looks like it's getting worse. I was a slave. Now I'm a slave in jail. Yeah, he goes from being a son mm-hmm. to a slave 
to a steward mm-hmm. to a prisoner. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, up and down there, but it's, it's, it's just pretty much a downward progression. Yeah, yeah. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's like it seems like the exact opposite of the dreams. Right. And the cool thing here is you would expect from just a humanistic standpoint, we would expect the character of Joseph to be getting a bit more self-oriented and bitter. Mm-hmm. And to be just constantly just getting worse and worse and worse and saying, you know what, God, maybe you don't love me. Maybe you don't care for me. And kind of turning into like a Naomi. Yeah. Where God, I left full and you brought me back empty. Yeah. Like we wouldn't be expecting bitter Joseph if that yeah. was the case. But we're not seeing that. And we'll have to address that next in our next session when he has to wait. Because the, 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 the horrible ending to this Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember. It's like you had one job. Yeah. I mean, you you got miraculously taken out of here. The, the the dream interpretation came true, and all you had to do was say something about this guy in prison. Yeah. And you didn't do it, and he just didn't do it. The I mean, that, that, that's gratitude for you, ain't it? Yeah, and never a good deed that goes unpunished. Exactly. So, I mean, so yeah, we're not seeing the bitterness though. So it's hard to beat up on Joseph here. It's hard to not say he to say he's not trusting God for maybe you know taking his shot there and saying get me out of here if you can't. Yeah. Um, there's there's something that's real and genuine about his heart that doesn't like where he's at mm-hmm. and wants to be out of there yeah. and wants hope for himself. I think he knows that it's in God's hands because that's been his story yeah. the whole time. But at the same time, he realizes that there's a lot he can't control. So what can he control? Well, he can ask he can ask a favor. He can. He can maintain a good attitude, a godly attitude. Yeah. There's things he can't control. But there's almost all of it he can't control. But yeah. he's choosing in that moment. The text presents him as take, taking that half-court basketball shot, saying, you know what, maybe I'll get out of here. Maybe this is the way. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I just think it just makes Joseph a very relatable character. It flushes him out, that's for sure. You know, It really uh, colors in things for us. And there's a lot of relatability. I mean, my, my work circumstances, it's like, God, you know, I, Please get me out of here. Get me change these circumstances. Mm. But I am in a situation where I have to still keep trusting. The, and you mm. know what? The funny thing is God does take care of me. Not mm. the way that I want him to take care of me per se. Mm. Not the way I would envision it. But the funky thing is he still takes care of me. God provides. You know, for 30 plus years, he's been taking care of me in the same old job. And I'm going to tell you this, man. I do not deserve one ounce of that. Mm. Mm. The one that God had shown favor to, the irony is he asked for a favor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he doesn't know that God is still favoring him. Yeah. And the text, I don't think, tells us at the end that God is giving him success. Mm-hmm. God's going to give him two more years of sitting in a dank cell. Yeah, yeah. this one kind of is like the, uh, the empire strikes back. Yeah. Know, like, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. I mean, it's like yeah. It, it ends on that gloom and doom kind of note. If the narrative only stopped there, this, you know, ouch. It's going to be a happy story. No. Any, any, any final thoughts, Professor D? Well, yeah, I think a big thing here is that God uses us regardless of our circumstances. There mm-hmm. Joseph is with a servant's heart wanting to help his fellow man. Instead of being woe is I, and I think that's something really good. Don't don't focus on. Look, it's not that he was ignoring. Obviously, he asked when he had the opportunity. He asked, "Hey, if you can do a brother a favor, you, you know, put, put a good word in." So it's not like he doesn't. He's not, or it's not like he's ignorant of his circumstances. Obviously, he's aware, but you can also see he's not dwelling on it more than he needs to. And I think that that's something that we all can learn and, and watch watch out in ourselves. 
I think it's too easy to become Naomi, you know, where we focus on, on the negativity around mm-hmm. us and become bitter. Joseph could have been bitter. Joseph has every reason to be bitter. You know, and, 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 and the big thing is that, you know, we, we, we have to see that in life there, there's, there's a lot of detours and we can't let the detours of life define us. Joseph was a good worker because he was a good guy and he worked that way. Hmm. So we have to keep trusting God and stay the course and, and not let our circumstances define us. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a very tough temptation to deal with. Hmm. It's too easy to let our circumstances define us, to paint us, to, to move us and to push us in, in, in any which way but up. Yeah, it's, that's just a great point. Yeah, I, I think we got to close on that. He, he just asked for a little bit of kindness. Mm-hmm. He, did, he saw that things were changing for him. Things were, no matter where he went, he seemed to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted a little bit of kindness. But in our walks, to continue to trust God and come what may. Well, this is the cat with the nine lives that keeps landing on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate all you brought to this discussion uh, my friend, I, I, I think that there's just a lot about Joseph's story that we can take and make it our own. Mm-hmm. And life sometimes hasn't always worked out for us. There's, there's things about our life that, you know, we have hurts and habits and hangups. We have issues. We have struggles. We I have, mean, you're battling MS, dude. Yeah. I mean, there's all these things that we go through and we have a real choice there. Even as we ask for favors and pray for kindness and we do all these things. I mean, I guess in my story, I've been... I've been the first, you know, half of this journey with MS, I've just really been praying. Now, everyone around me was praying, okay, well, heal Joel, heal mm-hmm. Joel. And, you know, God, would you heal him? Would you heal him? And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are praying for my healing. And I, I was just kind of transitioning to the point that, God, I don't know if I want healing so much as I just want purpose for this. Mm-hmm. I want to know that this is going to give you glory. And yeah. this is, that there's a purpose for the pain and for the struggle, that there's some kind of, yeah, I... When I'm in a rougher spot, I pray for deliverance, and I see him doing the same thing yeah. here. Where I'm having a really bad flare up, and I can't walk around. You know, you know, we were just recently at, at a on vacation, and the first day we walked for just a ton of walking, and the and the second day I couldn't leave the hotel room. Mm-hmm. I just had to send my wife and the kids go enjoy, and I'll just I'll take some pain pills and see if my my ankle will cooperate. I just kind of sat back and just chilled, and just just stayed off my feet, and it was frustrating, and I wanted to go out and have fun. But there's nothing I could do. So in that moment, it's like, I'm going to trust God. I'm just going to see, okay, God, use my story for your glory. And I'm just going to, you know, if some if certain kindnesses come, they come. But regardless, yeah. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to depend upon God. And I see Joseph doing that in yeah. his own way. Yeah. But this is going to be the dark night of his yeah. soul. Yeah. And this is, this is where he's going to have to be. And to be able to be able to say God, you're still God, and God, you're still good. Yeah. Even when the cup bears don't remember us. Yeah. That's a faith teeth. Yeah. To be able to turn to God, say you're still sovereign and you're still a good God. Yeah. And I can trust you to land the plane like David did going through in Psalm 31. But I trust you, God. I say you are my God. So he says you're still my God. Yeah. We still got this relationship, and my times are in your hands. Joseph has some easier times. Joseph has some horrible times. And Joseph has some even more horrible times. But all those times are in his hands. I think that's how we figure out how to land the plane with his story eventually. Yeah. But right now, like you said, it's it's like the Empire Strikes Back. There seems to be nothing but doom and gloom. Detours to the left of me, detours to the right of me. 
So I think we'll, we'll end here. We'll, we'll be on the next section. We'll continue next week. Thanks for joining us in Masterclass Theology tonight. Um, for Big Rev and Professor D, God bless and have a good night. Amen and amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.